Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. Do you believe this book? Do you really believe this? If you do, it has huge ramifications for your life. And more importantly, for the life to come. There is a day that's coming real soon when Christ will return. The clock is ticking, the days are running out, and you must make a decision which group are you in. Will you be among those who are the real believers in Jesus, or are you just a religious actor? The scary thing is that sometimes it's hard to see who's who in the context of church life. We can even be fooling ourselves and deceiving ourselves, thinking that we're Christians and we're really not. And yet we can't fool God. God sees and God knows. And one day it will all be revealed. There is a day coming when Christ will return and everyone will see the distinction between those who are truly his and those who have just been faking their way all along. And on this day, This day will be marked by inescapable fire and torment for those who are religious actors and complete healing and joy for those who are real believers. The day is coming soon and so the big question for you this morning is, which group are you in? And do you know for sure You can probably sense some urgency in my words this morning because we don't know when our time is up. We have nothing that's guaranteed. And your forever future depends on what you do with that question. What group are you in? Do you know for sure? And so with that in mind, let me read Malachi chapter three. If you're new with us, we're in a series walking through the book of Malachi, and we have reached Malachi chapter three, beginning with verse 13. Next week, we'll finish up this book together. I wanna read verses 13 all the way through chapter four, verse three, and I want you to listen. Listen, this is the very word of God. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. 
then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So Malachi compares and contrasts two groups of people here. We'll call the first group the fussers. The fussers, the religious actors. And notice, their fussing is seen by God and heard by God himself. Verse 13 says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. Lest we think that God is some casual, passive, stoic observer, distant in heaven. No, this verse says he's watching, he's listening, he's paying attention to us in all of our conversations, whether spoken or unspoken. He sees it all, he hears it all, and it affects him deeply. He's not just stoic up there. He doesn't just care. He's ambivalent. No, he is affected deeply by our words. Makes me think of Ephesians chapter four where Paul writes, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what is helpful for, for building others up according to their needs, that it would benefit those who listen. He goes on to say that we can grieve, we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God by using our words in a way that's shaming or hurting others. So God sees, God knows, he's paying attention. He's moved, he's affected. And so these, these fussers, these complainers, they keep complaining and they keep comparing. Notice in verse 13 again, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? Verse 14, you have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So they're complaining. This is all a waste of time. I mean, why are we even coming to church? Why are we serving? Why are we giving? Why are we praying? Why does it even matter? It's all futile. It's such a waste of time. And notice it's not just that they're asking the question of what's the point? They're also saying, what's the profit? What is this gaining for me? What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So it's this, it's this cynicism, right, in their hearts. Why are we doing this? There is no personal material gain from all of this. In fact, my life is even harder than the world around me. 
And sometimes we can have this in our own lives where this cynicism creeps in. We begin to fuss and complain and actually compare ourselves to those out there in the world, thinking they have it better than us. And we're supposedly Christians who are doing all these things for God. And why isn't he coming through for us? In Psalm 73, the psalmist expressed this envy of the arrogant. He says, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse four, he writes, for they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. And so he's saying, well, they seem to be healthy. There's no real struggle. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Meanwhile, I feel like I am weak and in pain. Verse five, for they are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. So it seems to be a, Trouble-free life. They're not only healthy, they seem to be really happier, happier than I am. They're, they're always carefree, it says in verse 12. Behold, these are the wicked always at ease. They increase in riches. They seem to be carefree, and they're wealthy, and they keep increasing in wealth, amassing more and more money. And look at my life. I'm not happy. I'm not healthy. I'm not wealthy. What's up, God? You know, when we sign up, when we say yes to King Jesus, we aren't signing up to a life of comfort and ease. We may experience even more pain along the journey toward glory. And so it's easy to look around and see there are worldly people who seem to be better off than me as a Christian or so-called Christian. For these people here were playing the part They were religious actors, and all the while filled with cynicism, complaining, fussing about their lives, even comparing themselves to others who were pagans. In verse 13, the psalmist says, all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Have you been there before? Where you wonder, is all of this in vain? Am I doing all these religious things, just the the religious duty? In vain? And so these these fussers keep complaining. And notice they draw a conclusion in the end. Verse 15, Malachi 3, chapter 3. And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. God, you haven't come through for me, so I'm jumping ship on you, is basically the paraphrase of that one. All the arrogant around me, those who seem to have no need for God, these evildoers, they're prospering, they're putting you to the test, and they're escaping. Nothing's happening to them. They're not being punished. In fact, they're prospering. Makes me think of the story of the prodigal son in the New Testament, Remember the story and how the father loves his sons, but the younger son decides, I want my inheritance now. He goes and squanders it on reckless living, comes to a place of emptiness, returns back home with this heart of confession and repentance before he could even reach the doorsteps. His dad had run out to him in mercy and clothed him with a robe, the finest of robes, 
put on the signet ring, killed the fattened calf. Let's celebrate. You've come home. Off in the distance, the older brother is watching the whole thing with this cynical, envious expression on his face. Luke 15, 29, we see a window in his heart. He says to his father, look, these many years I have served you, never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. So it's this, you owe me. I've been a good person, why is my life this bad? You owe me, God. There's this perceived injustice. Other people seem to be doing really well. I'm not doing so well. How come? And you put God right on the stand, expecting him to answer. Some of you in this room, you're feeling that way, and here's what happens. It leaks out. You see, these fussers were complaining to one another, creating a a poison that kind of just continued throughout. And I wonder if you're honest, do you relate to this group, the fussers, the complainers, the religious actors? Is this just a show for everyone else? Be honest this morning. Malachi moves to the second group of people. We'll call the God-fearers. So the fussers and the God-fearers, these are the real believers. Why we call them the God-fearers is this phrase, fearing the Lord, is repeated three times in this text. Look at verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. One more time, that's repeated in chapter 4, verse 2, those who fear my name. So what does that mean to fear the Lord? This past week, we had our first family fun night, and the kids, many families were here. It was really a, a lot of fun together. And the kids uh, learned a new verse, and so did the parents, from Proverbs 3, 7, and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And so they learned about what true wisdom is and how it begins with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what does that mean to fear God? It must not mean that we're scared of him. So what does it mean? Well, it means that we have this reverential awe and respect of God and his godness and his goodness. We're in awe of him. We're amazed by him. I shared this story with the kids that when I was in fourth grade, I got the opportunity to go to an NBA exhibition game. Uh, the Chicago Bulls were playing, and, and I was so excited to see the GOAT, right? Michael Jordan. Some of you will dispute that. You're wrong. <laughs> Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. And I got to go down courtside before the game started as they were warming up. And no doubt, I was like, as close as I am to Kerry right here, close as I was to Michael Jordan. I saw him right there, and not that Kerry's not impressive as she is right there, but Michael Jordan was, was more impressive. Like, there he was, and I was just struck with, that's Michael Jordan right there. I'm seeing him right here with my own eyes as a fourth grader. That was huge. 
As a 44-year-old, that would be huge, right? But that was amazing. And I remember coming back from that and like, man, now it's over, that game. And I told the kids, you know, there's somebody greater, more deserving of our awe than Michael Jordan. It's the one who created Michael Jordan, right? And all of us, our great God. And we shared the story of Peter, and I shared this last week, and how he was told to go and put the nets in the deeper water. He was reluctant to do so at first, hesitant, and finally when he did so, all the fish, more than they could handle, came into the boats, and Peter was struck and surrendered and went down on his knees, saying, Lord, depart from me, I'm a a sinner. That was the fear of the Lord that gripped him in that moment. That is God in a pair of sandals, and I am here as just a sinful man. So these, these people here are described as fearing the Lord and esteeming his name. They're holding his name in high regard. They trust him even through the trials and troubles of life. They're leaning on him. And notice it says here that they're speaking to one another about this. Verse 16, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another and the Lord paid attention and heard them. So what are they speaking to one another? Well, they're not complaining and fussing like the first group. I believe that they're encouraging one another. They're stirring up one another to love and good deeds, as it says in Hebrews chapter 10, where Paul writes, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know, I, how dare we try to stir the pot in this political and cultural tension that we're in right now? Why would we as Christians just participate along with the world and here, I'll give you more to be mad at, when we could be stirring one another up towards love and good deeds as we see the day drawing near. We need to be encouraging one another. We need that. So what does that look like? Colossians 3, 16, it begins with the word of Christ dwelling in us. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How do you encourage your fellow believers? You have the word of Christ dwelling in you richly and you're ready to share it. It's not just unbelievers who need the word of Christ. We as believers need to be reminded of the gospel every day. And notice it says to admonish one another. There are times where we need to have the hard conversations, the courageous conversations with each other to encourage one another as we see the day drawing near. We care about each other. I care about the outcome of your faith. And so these believers, they were fearing the Lord together. They were encouraging one another. And and let me just say one more thing. And I don't think this is an overstatement to say this. What you say throughout the week to one another matters probably even more than what I say to you on a Sunday morning. Think about that for a minute. What you are saying in your conversations with one another throughout the week has a powerful, influential impact on your faith in Christ and those around you. So what's the, what's the flavor of your conversations? 
Are you encouraging one another? And notice God is watching this. He's paying attention. He pays attention. He hears them. He sees it all. Notice in verse 16, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. It's incredible to think that God's got this book, this, this scroll of remembrance, and he's, he's keeping note, right, of all of your faithful deeds and in your words. He's writing it down. He's, he's recalling it for later so he can reward you on that day. So let me remind you, when no one else sees it, God does. He does not forget your faithful deeds, even if they're done without anyone else seeing. This book of remembrance, we might remember the story of Esther. Esther chapter six, verse one. It says, on that night the king could not sleep and he gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. If you remember the story, Mordecai had protected the king earlier from potential death. And it was written in the books and the books were brought out to him. He couldn't sleep. And there they were. It was recorded that Mordecai had saved the king and now was going to be rewarded you and I will be rewarded one day. It's all been written down, our faithfulness on the book of remembrance. And so these, these God-fearing people, they're living in a way that is esteeming the name of God and they're encouraging one another. They're living faithful lives even though it's hard, even though they're walking through trials and troubles. They're remaining firm in their faith, fearing God. Which group are you in? Are you among the fussers, the religious actors, complaining and comparing? Or are you among the God-fearers, esteeming God's name and encouraging those here in your church family? Which group are you in? Here's why that question matters. Because Malachi now moves towards two destinations that are very, very different. And I want you to, to, to grapple with this for a moment. As we enter into thinking about eternity and these pictures and these metaphors and these images of heaven and hell, I, I want you to think about how easy it is for our minds to be distracted, even now, and I'm praying this moment, that you would focus in on God's word and not be distracted. Because I know, I know, you're busy and so am I. And we're so consumed with the trivial and the temporal things that don't even matter. Think about this, and I, I'm asking even you students to, to consider this. How often are you giving time and energy and thought and money to things that won't matter even in 10 years from now? Adults in the room, how, how much time and effort and energy that consumes your mind are you giving to things that won't matter 10 million years from now? You know that eternity is forever and that ought to change the way you live today but we just go on as if it didn't even matter. 
when billions of people right now haven't even heard. I heard a statistic out of the seven billion people here on planet Earth, 1.5 have not yet heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another three or four are going to hell, marching right now to hell, if they don't hear the truth of the gospel, they're believing lie. And we sit back wanting more comfort in this life. And so let's, let's, let's get our hearts around these two realities here. Malachi says we're going to see the distinction real soon. In verse 18 says, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Now there's no chapter break here in the original language. In chapter four begins, for behold. In other words, pay attention, listen now, behold, the day is coming. That's the day of Christ's second coming. And notice what it's going to be like for the religious actors, those who remain arrogant and will not turn to Christ. The day is coming, burning like an oven. When all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze as the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. I, I tremble as I read these words because this is really going to happen. Day is coming. This is the day of divine judgment when Christ returns, coming on a white horse with the armies of heaven along with him, and he will judge. And immediately, if you are among those who are religious actors just playing this game, you will go directly to this burning oven. You'll be set ablaze. Now this, this is not annihilation. It's not as if this is a one time, you're burned and then it's over with. No, this will last forever. This will be a supernatural furnace that will burn forever and ever and ever and there's no release, no relief, no escape. It's forever. And it says these evildoers, the, the arrogant, will be stubble. That's what you get after you're done harvesting. There's nothing left. Be set ablaze so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. John the Baptist, one book later in Matthew chapter 3, says this about Jesus and his coming. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So listen, it will all be revealed whether or not you really, really had sincere faith and you produced good fruit and had a foundation that you were standing upon, all that's going to be revealed. And there will be no root nor branch left to hold on to. Yesterday was burn day. Smelling all the leaves burn. And I got to thinking, uh, there is coming a day when it won't be the leaves burning. It will be actually human beings who have rebelled against God who will burn. 
some of you know people right now in your life that don't know Jesus, are not trusting Jesus, and that is their destination. Do you care? A sense of urgency today. Turn to Jesus. You don't have to be headed toward this fire. I'm going to share more of this later, but Jesus, when he came, was willing to jump into the fire for us. On the cross, he drank the cup of God's anger and wrath. He drank hell in a cup. All of the punishment came upon him. What we deserve for eternity landed upon the Son of God. That's why everything went dark. That's why the Father had to turn away from the Son. Everything was falling upon Jesus, what we deserved for our sin. And Jesus died and he rose triumphantly from the grave and he's alive. And if you, if you know that you're a sinner this day, if you know that you have sinned against Almighty God, and you, you know that you deserve punishment, you know that Jesus Christ died in your place and rose again, you trust in him, you can escape this inescapable fire. And you can be rescued. Lest we think that these are just the words of a minor prophet who's a little mad, I want to remind you that the one who spoke about heaven and hell most was Jesus. He did so to warn us. He did so because he loves us. And so these fussers, these religious actors, these arrogant evildoers are headed towards an eternal hell. But, verse 2 says, but for you who fear my name, listen to the difference. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Those who fear my name, those who have come to this place where they know I'm a sinner, God is holy, and I need Christ for my righteousness, you will be spared this eternal hell and you will meet the son of righteousness who will bring healing in his wings. Think about the sun. On a sunny day, we don't have to bring a candle out, right? We can't even really even see it, but that's sometimes what we try to do. Like, we, this is our righteousness. We'll bring it out here. And Jesus says, I am the son of righteousness. I've taken all of the punishment on the cross for you, and I've given you my spotless white robe of righteousness, and here I am. And if you're found in me, you're, you're very faultless to stand before the throne as we sung. And not only that, there is healing coming. Some of you need to hear this today because you've experienced a lot of sickness in your life, a lot of pain, and there won't be a need for any more doctors when Christ comes. He will heal you fully. He will take away all your pain. He will give you complete healing in his wings. And then this next phrase just, just brings a smile to my face. I'm not even sure what it means, but it says something that looks like it's going to be really happy. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. What's that all about? That's, what, that's what's going to happen to us. And man, I see Joe back there today. 
I don't know if I should cry or laugh, brother. You're going to be leaping someday. You're going to be leaping. Like a calf that's been in this stall cooped up in the cold winter dark night, you're going to come out of that just leaping. I'm free. Joy forever and ever and ever. It's going to happen. I didn't grow up on a farm. I had a dog. The only way I can liken this verse is I remember bath time for my dog. She hated bath time. Kind of pushed with her paws like in resistance. No, 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 I'm not going in that bathroom. I finally got her in there, bathing her. She's got this really sad face, you know. Are you really going to do this to me again? And finally we get her out, towel her off, and we open up the bathroom door, and it's a celebration, right? I mean, total craziness. You guys have dogs that do this? Just sprinting all around, sniffing the ground, just in circles. It's just incredible, the amount of excitement. I think this is a little window into what it's going to be like when we're finally set free in glory to leap from the stalls of our sin in this world. And so, man, two different destinations, two different groups of people. Which group are you in? Be honest this morning as we close. Are you among the fussers, the, the religious actors? Is this just a game? Is this just a waste of time? Are you comparing yourself with others in the world who seem to have it better than you? God, you owe me. I've done all this for you and this is what I get? Or are you among the God-fearers? Have you come to this place where you recognize your sin and God's holiness and you believe in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins? So this is a warning. This is a wake-up call. This is also meant to be an encouragement for you to press on all the way to to heaven. It's coming real soon. The day is coming soon. So listen, here's how I want to close. If you are among those who wonder, I'm not sure, I'm not sure, listen for just one or two more minutes. I want to ask you, and be honest, is Jesus your life? I'm not asking if he's like a get out of hell free card in the back of your pocket you got for later. I'm asking, is Jesus your life? Like, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Is he your life? If he's not your life, you've got to wonder if he really is your Savior and Lord. Is he your life? Is he the most important person of all? Have you given yourself fully to Jesus and trusted in him alone as your Lord and Savior? And secondly, and I don't want to confuse this with salvation, but have you been baptized? Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, your next step is to be baptized in obedience to Jesus. And some will say, well, I, why is that such a big deal? If you can't obey the first command of Jesus, why would you want to obey all the others? Your first step after you become a follower of Jesus is to be baptized, to proclaim what Christ has done in your life. And some of you might be like, well, you know what? I, I grew up in a different tradition. I was baptized as a baby. Well, you know, I'm... I understand that. I'm sympathetic with that. I grew up in a denomination that practiced the same thing. But that was really more of the faith of your parents than it was yours, wasn't it? If you've got questions about that, sign up for the baptism class. We'd love to have you in there. 
But think about what God is calling you to do today. To give your life to Jesus, that Jesus would be your life, to step forward in public proclamation of that truth in baptism. And then thirdly, let's be about encouraging one another in this body. Let's stop complaining. Let's encourage one another and all the more as we see the day drawing near. Let's pray together. Father, we see just a glimpse of the eternal realities that are coming real soon. And we admit to you, we are so often unmoved by it all. God, would you wake us up and draw us to Jesus first and foremost and to stop fussing and complaining and comparing and acting and just be admitting the truth about ourselves that we need Christ alone to forgive us and save us from our sins. And Lord, if we are following you as God-fearing people, thank you for that grace, and I pray that you would continue to give us encouragement to press on, to fight the faith, fight the fight of faith together, to encourage one another, to stir up one another, to love and good deeds. And Father, I pray that if there's one here that is, is still on the edge, give them the faith now to say yes to you, to trust in you, and say, I want you in my life. Enough of the games. I want to follow you, King Jesus. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your grace in it all, and that this glorious day awaits us real soon. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.